0: Thank you so much for braving the cold this morning and joining us. If you're visiting with us, welcome, thanks. My name is Ed. Special thanks today to those of you who prayed with us this past Saturday. We did a a 24-hour prayer, and we had um, at least someone and several cases for someone's praying. We prayed an hour at a time in hour blocks. We prayed through the whole day, um, New Year's Eve day. And it was a terrific time for Diane and I. So, my wife is Diane. Those of you who joined us, thank you. I am so excited about what God has for Gateway Community Church this year. I said to the worship team right before we came out, I think I'm more excited than I've ever been, and I'm a pretty excited guy. The point of this whole year for us here at Gateway, the point of the whole year, will be for us to encourage one another to live lives more like the life Jesus lived. I don't mean that living a life like Jesus lived. I don't mean that in some vague sense like, you know, be nicer or be more religious or wear a toga. I mean that in the most practical possible way. We're going to take a deeper dive into our habits and and we're going to try to align our way of living with Jesus' way of living. I like the way Dr. Dallas Willard put this. He said, we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. So that's how we're going to spend our year this year at Gateway. We're going to start by focusing on our time and our money and our bodies. Okay, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that Proverbs is a long song detailing the great distance between the life of wisdom and righteousness on the one hand and a life of foolishness and unrighteousness on the other. One side represents the way of following Jesus and living like he lived. The other side represents our best efforts at finding our our happiness and our purpose and our connection apart from him. On the one side, leads to death. Dr. Willard again put it like this. To depart from righteousness is to choose a life of crushing burdens, failures, and disappointments, a life caught in the toils of endless problems that are never resolved. Here, he continues, is the source of that unending soap opera, that sometimes horror show known as normal human life. The cost of discipleship, though it may take all we have, he summarizes, is small when compared to the lot of those who don't accept Christ's invitation to be part of the company of the way of life, his way of living. This side leads to death. The other side leads to life and freedom. It leads to a deeper connection with God. It leads to us being the people we were designed to be, the people we long to be. You cannot live on this side. You cannot live on the side of wisdom and righteousness, the side of connection, the side of life, without nurturing a balanced spiritual life. You cannot live on this side without managing yourself in such a way that you nurture a balanced spiritual life. You have to be building your life in such a way that you are growing up toward God in worship and toward God's people and community and out toward the world in service. You have to be building a life in which you are growing, growing up toward God in worship in toward God's people in community, and out toward the world in service. So at Gateway, we have identified seven habits that will ensure you are building this kind of life. These are really life themes that will ensure you don't get many insurances in life, but you build these habits and you will ensure that you're building a balanced spiritual life that will lead to righteousness and wisdom and life. These are the kind of habits that characterized Jesus' life and the life of his followers. So, we need to be opening our lives to people in need. And we're going to, this year, talk about some specific ways that we can do that. We need to uplift God's character. So, God's character, what God is like, needs to be on display in our lives. We need to tell others about what we found in Jesus Christ, a connection with God and his love poured out on us. And then... We need to invest in community because it doesn't just happen. You have to invest in it. And then we need to nourish others out of personal wholeness. So we need to get well so we can nourish others. And then we need to use our resources with wisdom and purpose. So many times in my life, my resources use me. And then we need to practice creative devotion. We need to connect with God regularly. We're going to spend this year focusing on these habits. We're going to spend our entire year focusing on the habits that will help us build a balanced spiritual life because it leads to this. It leads to righteousness and wisdom. It leads to life. Okay, and we're going to do that because we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. All right, we'll begin the year by focusing on using our resources with wisdom and purpose. And we'll be spending the next three weeks on this one habit in a series that we're calling Self-Management, The Toughest Job. And like I said, we're going to spend these weeks talking about managing our time, our money, and our bodies, and how perfect is that. You and I have spent our entire adult lives, I know you, You and I spend our entire adult lives making goals around these three issues at almost every year at this exact time of year. And researchers will tell us that these goals are routinely abandoned by the middle of February. For example, I'm sure you know that gym membership increases dramatically this time of year, often more than doubling, more than hundred percent growth. And yet, sixty percent of those new memberships are never used. And local gyms regularly report that by the second week in February, gym activity has returned to what it was before the new year started. Again, Dr. Willard says something helpful, although a bit guilt-inducing. He says, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This year, we're gonna commit ourselves to the kind of life that will produce what we know to be right and important. For some of you, that will be new territory. And I'm excited, I'm honestly excited about what this will do for you. For others of you, this is already your attempt at lifestyle. For you, we're just gonna be encouraging one another to take the next step in the deeper waters. That's always what spiritual growth is. It's just taking the next step. And we're going to do that this year. Now, we need to be honest with ourselves and admit what we know to be true. Managing ourselves is far out and away the toughest management job we will ever have. But with God's guidance, with the help of the Spirit, with our community, and following the model of Jesus' life, this year is going to be different. All right, let me kick us off with prayer. Here am I, Lord. Take all of me. Father, we pray that you would baptize this group, fill, fall on, anoint, overcome, electrify. This room, this church, these people, God, I honestly believe that your people are the hope of the world and you are just waiting for a group of people who will say, we're all in with you. You're waiting for a family that will say, whatever. I want my life to look exactly like the life you modeled, the way you lived. God, we pray that this year, you will make us those people. Help us, Lord. We don't want to be partially committed to what's good, and yet not create the kind of life that will create those conditions. Today, Lord, we're in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start by reading an electrifying passage of Scripture from one of the most dense and action-packed books in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul lays out some really heavy theology and then some just really practical good stuff in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at two verses from the book of Ephesians this morning and taking a really deeper dive, and we're not going to overread this. This is awesome stuff today. I'll read you a verse after the two verses just because it's great, and I wish we had time to talk about it. We don't. And then we'll read the introduction to those two verses right after it. But I really want to hunker down on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, and really verses 15 and 16. And I think God has a word for us today. I honestly don't believe you're here by accident. So Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, and I'd love for you to look. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but on your phone or if you have a Bible, old school, uh, grab that, and let's stand together out of reverence for God's word today. Let's go old school. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Okay, you may be seated. I am struck by the urgency in Paul's instructions. If you listen to the context leading up to the passage, I think you'll understand why Paul's temperature is so high here, so let me read you the context really quickly. I'm going to back up to verse 8. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible when we expose the the stuff that's in our life, when we do what John led us in a minute ago, it becomes visible. And, and Christ's light shines on that. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, and this is not an Old Testament quote. I think this is, it must be a quote from a hymn that the early Christians sang, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. And Christ will shine in you. So let me summarize. Once you were darkness, now you're light. Live that way, Parentheses, And find out what pleases the Lord, Parentheses, and do that. And don't have anything to do with the deeds of darkness. By the way, they're fruitless. And wake up. Rise from the dead. Get yourself going. And Christ's light will really shine on you. Could there be a better call for coming into a new year? And here's the point. Because of that, because you are light, because you are the kind of person who finds out what pleases the Lord, because you do not want to do the deeds of darkness, because you're awake, then here's what your practice should be. You should be very careful how you live. In other words... Because of the kind of person you are, be very careful how you live. If we translated that phrase literally from the original, from the Greek language, it would say this, look carefully how you walk. Don't you love that image? You and I have got to look. We've got to pay attention. We've got to be engaged. We've got to be intentional and proactive about our time, about how we use it. We've got to manage it. We've got to be looking, and not only looking, we've got to be looking with great care, measuring our steps, each step, and our pace. Look carefully how you walk, because you and I are not out for a casual stroll. There is much at stake. Our lives matter. Every day matters, every hour matters. There are no throwaway days in my life or yours. The way we spend our time, it matters. This is not a dress rehearsal. We don't get this day over again ever and how we spend it today matters. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a man in our office a number of years ago. He called me up extremely upset Ed, are you busy? Yes. Can I interrupt? Sure. He came to see me because he wanted to confess. He'd had a series of affairs and had just been found out. He was broken. He was devastated. He was guilt ridden. And he was terrified that his life was about to fall apart. He had no idea what would happen next. And I'll never forget what he said. He wasn't crying, he was too much in shock. I don't know how it happened, Ed. I just don't know how I ended up here. What do you mean you don't know how it happened? You stopped paying attention, you weren't looking, you were just out for a stroll to see whatever you could see, to investigate whatever came up, whatever you stumbled into. You weren't being careful. You weren't engaged. You weren't proactive. You weren't intentional. And that particular story has a very good ending because that man is wide awake now. And he's looking every day more carefully than he's ever looked. It takes some work to look that carefully. All the time. But this man is happier, freer, and healthier. I just got an email from him this fall that he's been most of his adult life, and his marriage is better than it's ever been. He's wide awake. Be very careful, then, how you live. Be very careful how you live. Be very careful. Look carefully how you walk. Listen to that. How you walk. Be careful how you walk. For us, the focus has got to be on obedience. Notice we're not encouraged to be intentional about where we walk, but how we walk. It's about our habits. It's about our practices. The decision where we walk, which is a decision, by the way, that preoccupies us. What do I do about this? Or what do I do to this job? Or marriage or not? Or Critically important decisions, those preoccupy us, but usually those decisions are above our pay grade. Our focus needs to be on how we walk. Obviously, there are critical points in our lives where we have to make decisions about what we want to do, where we want to do it, but even in those decision points, Jesus is usually far more interested in how we decide than in what we decide because the real battleground for you and I is always internal. It's never external. Jesus repeatedly reminded them, why are you worried about the outside of the cup? That can't hurt you. It's the poison on the inside of the cup that can hurt you. The what's and the where's are always dependent on and secondary to the why's and the how's. The what's and the where's are always secondary to and dependent on the why's and the how's. That's why learning how to connect to God is so critically important. We're going to be talking about that in February, and I don't want you to miss it. But for now, we need to hear Paul's direction to be very careful how we manage our time, to be very careful how we walk, to be very careful the habits, the practices, the disciplines of our lives, the theme of our life. I want to make a point here that Paul doesn't make directly, but it's a point with which I'm sure he would agree. Gordon MacDonald begins his awesome book, Ordering Your Private World, with this assumption. He calls it a memo to the disorganized. He says this, If my private world is in order, it will be because I am convinced that the inner world of the spiritual must govern the outer world of activity. Be very careful how you live. Take care of the how. Specifically, pay attention to your habits, your practices and your relationships, your relationship with God and with others. Pay attention. You're not out for a stroll. This matters. Connect. Pay attention to your inner world. Look carefully, because this is what will make or break your day, each day, every day. Okay, he doesn't stop there. It gets better. I'm knocked out by a couple of these things, if you can't tell. Be very careful then how you live, he goes on, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, of course, wisdom is a frequent biblical theme, and it refers to much more than being smart. I've heard wisdom defined as, quote, the ability to use knowledge for correct behavior. Isn't that good? It should read something like this Be very careful then how you live, not as someone who's unable or unwilling to use your knowledge toward correct behavior but as someone who knows how to apply their knowledge and their experience practically toward the right kinds of behavior, toward the right choices. In other words, wisdom is about the right application of our knowledge and our experience toward right behavior. It is the result of learning from the right influences, using, employing the right practices, and then applying what we've learned toward the right behavior. Wisdom is the result of learning from the right influences and the right practices and then applying what we've learned toward the right behavior. And think of those right practices as a summary phrase for the kinds of habits that we're going to be discussing this year all year long. Here's an interesting note. This is shocking to me. This is the only time in the entire New Testament when the word unwise is used. Is that crazy? Other than this, whenever New Testament authors want to contrast wisdom with something, they usually contrast it with fool or foolishness. We would expect Paul to say something like this. Be careful then how you live, not like a fool, but with wisdom. But he does not It seems that Paul wants to be more gentle than that. He's being more circumspect. It's almost like Paul is being a good American politician here. It seems he doesn't want to rebuke them. He just wants to offer a reminder. Let's don't lose this. I think this might be intentional. It's as if Paul is saying, look, there are many things you could be doing which are well and good, but they may not be wise. There are many ways to spend your time which are fine, but they may not be wise, and you need to be wise in the use of your time. For example, it may be well and good for you to remodel your kitchen, but is it wise? It may be well and good for you to watch Game of Thrones on HBO, but is it wise? It may be well and good for you to spend time playing video games, but is it wise? It may be fine for you to go to the bar after work with your colleagues, but is it wise? And we could add a lot of similar questions to that list and by the way I didn't offer that those examples because I'm assuming that the answer to any of them is no it isn't wise it may be wise for you to spend tonight this evening relaxing and enjoying yourself playing video games I ask those questions not to elicit guilt but to demonstrate how high the standard is for our behavior we're not just looking for ways to spend our time that are okay We have to be very careful how we live, not unwisely, but wisely. And look at that next phrase, making the most of every opportunity. The word translated, making the most of every opportunity, making the most of, is really a single word that means to capitalize, to maximize, to redeem, to bring something back to deliver. The idea is to bring something back, to bring it in so that it won't get away, to catch it, to deliver it well, in the right way, to the right place. In other words, here comes an opportunity. We cannot miss it. We need to grab it, maximize it, capitalize it, use it, apply it, bring it to the right place, deliver it, redeem it, draw it in. You and I are going to be presented with a variety of opportunities. Some of them we know, some of them we don't yet know. We need to seize them, and we need to be ready to seize them. We need to make the most of them because they may not come at us again, and to do so, we've got to be very careful about how we live so that we're ready. Years ago, I could have used a number of examples from my own life, but they're too embarrassing, and I could have used examples from some of you, but I I had not asked your permission. So years ago, I pastored a church in Boston. We'll pick on one of them. And a guy asked me to come down one day to have lunch with him in Boston. He worked for a large insurance company, and they were rewriting a software program that some of you have been involved in these projects. It took, it seemed like a 1,000 years. And every nine months... He would not come to church for two weeks. He'd be pulling all-nighters three nights in a row because this project's going live. I'm so sorry, Ed. I'm going to miss so-and-so meeting. My project's going live on Friday. And then a month later, he's still on the same project. It had not gone live. That happened about six times. One time I went uh, downtown to have lunch with him. He was really depressed. And, you know, what's up? And he said, you know, I, I really feel like I missed something. A couple of months ago, my boss's boss, who heads this whole section of the project, he had a family crisis at home. And he asked, volunteer email, I have to leave this afternoon and I'm going to be gone for a couple of days. And anybody pick up the slack, by? and he lays out this list of tasks and it was going to involve Saturday and part of Sunday. And my friend said, I had absolutely nothing to do. And as soon as I got the email, I thought, oh, I need to step into that and I need to serve him. But I did not want to. So I didn't. And the email hung around for several hours. And finally, somebody on our team said, I'll be happy to. And I wiped my brow. And now, two months later, she has a promotion. You got the job that I wanted. And I wonder if I missed an opportunity to serve that would have ultimately been a blessing to me. And of course, I you know, wanted to hold his hand, but all I could say was, yeah, I think you did Missed an opportunity that would have been a blessing to you. How often have you and I missed similar spiritual opportunities? Because we're too busy or we just didn't have the courage or whatever. You know what I think we need to see about this language? I can't help but notice how responsive Paul's language is. How responsive. This isn't a description of us going out and looking for opportunities. This isn't a description of us making opportunities happen. We aren't inventing something. We're not manipulating our circumstances or controlling them. This isn't the power of positive thinking or winning friends and influencing people. This is simply responding. I'm reminded of what Paul said earlier in this same letter, in chapter 2, verse 10. We're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And I want you to read this phrase with me. So hold that. I'm going to read the start of it to get us into it. And that last phrase, I want you to read it with me. We are God's workmanship. He's making something here out of the practice and and habits that we're talking about, out of exposing ourselves to the right influence, God is making something here. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What? Yeah. He's creating opportunities for you and I to walk into them and seize them. And we cannot and we will not if we're not ready. It's the old image, right, of the young kid who wants to be Derek Jeter. Sorry, that's three-year-ago reference or five-year-ago reference, but the all-world shortstop for the New York Yankees. And he imagines himself being Derek Jeter and fielding grounders, and turning double plays. And of course, he needs talent, and he also needs 10,000 hours of practice because you do not turn a double play by walking onto the field and saying, hit me the ball. That's the result of hours and hours of habit and practice and using our time well. And this opportunity will only be seized by us if we have practiced the kind of life that Jesus lived. I don't mean being nice. I mean doing what Jesus did. And it's critically important for us to remember why this is so critically important. It's critically important for us to remember why this is so critically important. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What in the world does that mean, the days are evil? Well, Paul may simply be saying that these Ephesians find themselves living in difficult times in a culture and at a time that's hostile to a connection with God, and we would recognize that, you and I, but I think it means more than that. Sometimes New Testament authors use this word day as a virtual synonym for age or epic period of time. And it's fascinating to hear how Jesus talked about ages. He talked about the present age and the age to come repeatedly. And he talked about the, the present age in a way that always suffered in comparison to the age to come. There was the great divide between the present, a time of difficulty and trials, and the future, a time of hope and a time of eternity and a time of connecting with God. The present, according to Jesus, is a time when the devil, God's spiritual enemy and ours, is on the loose wreaking havoc with our lives, and the age to come is a time free of that influence. And this was not fairy tales or metaphors for Jesus. He meant this literally. Then Jesus' followers took up similar language. In fact, Paul at one point speaks of the context of our whole lives. In fact, all of human history as this present evil age, meaning this period, the whole history of of human history, the context of our entire lives is a period in which we live our lives cut off from God's absolute rulership when God's enemy is prowling around, seeking someone that he might devour. Right now, we only see partly, Paul tells us in another place. We, we only get a glimpse during this age. But one day, an age is coming during which we will see clearly and we will know fully. And all that discounts or opposes God will be discarded and we will live in an unimaginable unity with God. This age and the age to come, or put another way, this day and the day to come. I think this is what Paul has in mind here. I think he's laying out the context of our everyday lives as this monumental period of struggle. Certainly there's joy and beauty in our lives, but there's also trial and temptation and difficulty and confusion and and sickness and heartache. These days are evil, Not absolutely and fully evil. It's not that everything is awful, but the days are evil in the sense that everything is discolored by evil. Everything is covered by a haze. And this is why we need to manage our time well. If you miss everything else today, don't miss this. We do not need to manage our time well because we need to get more done. This kind of thinking will lead us to the trap of trying harder to try harder. This kind of thinking will lead us to burnout. We do not need to manage our time well because we need to get more done. That's not the right motivation. It's not a motivation that will sustain us. This is why we surrender our goals by February every year. This is why we sometimes set the wrong goals we become convinced that we need to squeeze even more out of our already squeezed selves. We do not need to manage our time well because we need to get more done. We need to manage our time well because the days are evil. And we cannot live righteously. We cannot live wisely. We cannot live like Jesus lived if we don't manage our time well. We live in a context that is hostile to the things of God. We must be very careful how we live. We must be ready to make the most of every opportunity. We must be ready to seize today because we will never get it again. Without managing our time well, we may do many things that are fine. We may live lives that are well and good. But we have no hope of living lives that are electric with the power of God. Lives of dignity and influence and impact, we have no hope of living such lives if we do not manage our time well. The forces poised against us are too great, our environment is too discolored by evil. Casual living will not produce dynamic lives, and those are the kind of lives that we were designed to live. Allow me to issue a couple of challenges today. Some of us are very ineffective at managing our schedules. We live far too casually. We're out for a stroll most of the time. It may be that you've been fairly fortunate so far and have not run into disaster. But some of you have, and if you have not, you will. We let ourselves off the hook far too easily. We're lazy too much of the time. We often procrastinate what is difficult. There is too little intention, too little urgency, too little care, too little discipline. God's call to you and I this year is to wake up. Rise from the dead. Hear his word today and respond. Nobody ever played a sport or a musical instrument proficiently. No one ever completed a difficult task or managed a meaningful project. No one ever finished a course with excellence by doing it casually. Wake up. Stop excusing yourself. Rise from the dead. Get careful with your life. I don't care how old you are. It's not too late for broken down old people like me to make this year the best year we've ever had. I'm not saying without difficulty. The days are evil. But I'm saying the best, the most electric, the most alive year we've ever had. Others of us are reasonably effective at managing our schedules. But we're not wise at managing our time. We get stuff done, things happen, boxes get checked off of lists, but there's little impact. People around us are not enhanced because of us. There's no growth or kingdom advance, and we're tired and burned out much of the time. Maybe because we're not responding to opportunities, maybe because we're driven by our own need, to, the need to perform or to prove ourselves or to not be embarrassed or to stay in control, whatever it is, God's call to you and I this year is, get still, take care of your inner life. Don't try to get stuff done, try to watch for Jesus. Be careful how you walk. Let him worry about where and what. All right. I want to end by offering some practical helps to launch us into this. We, you know, obviously, you could talk about a topic like managing our time for weeks and weeks and weeks. Some of you have been to seminars that are far better than... Certainly, practically, than what you've heard this morning. And there are great books, and I'm going to recommend a couple in a second. But I I want to offer some practical helps today before we leave. Five. Number one, get prayer today. I don't mean that as a metaphor. Get prayer today. We have a group of people over here after the service who would be willing to pray for you. And what you do is you walk down front and you say, I would like prayer. How can we pray? Well, some of that stuff he was talking about. Because you're too embarrassed to say anything else. That's fine. Or maybe you want to walk down and say, I need prayer this morning. Why? I'm an utter and absolute wreck. I do not manage my time well and I'm about to run into a pile of poop. Please help. Get prayer today. We don't need smelly shoes as we leave this morning. Second, practical help. And if you don't feel like coming down front, grab someone that you know. Someone that looks like they know what they're doing. Somebody that looks holy. If you're a visitor, grab somebody that you don't even know and say, hey, would you pray for me? If they say, what's going on, you fool? Then you say, you weren't listening at all. I'm going to go to somebody else and go to the next person. Get prayer today. Secondly, make the order of your inner world a daily priority this week. Make the ordering of your inner world a daily priority this week. I don't care about the last year. I don't care about the last 19 years. This week, just this week, make the order of your inner world a priority. Gordon MacDonald again said, If my private world is in order, it will be because I make the daily choice to monitor its state of orderliness. So, I have put five, ten minutes that take you less than 15 minutes, I promise you, five devotional meditations on our website, www.gatewaychurch.org, up in the right-hand corner, resources, click on resources and go to blog, and the first entry there, click on the read more, and don't go through all of them, tomorrow morning, go through day one. And Tuesday morning, go through day two. And they're just contemplations of this, of using our time well, designed to inspire you. I've even got in there a couple of resources and a couple of TED Talks for you to click on when you have uh, time this week to look at them that will really fire you up. One of them is awesome. So go this week, each week, and take 10 minutes. Now, some of you already have this discipline and habit in your life. That's awesome. Continue. If you would, of course you don't have to, but if you would, I would encourage you to take an additional 10 minutes or to steal 10 minutes from your time and do this blog because we'll all be doing the same thing. Secondly, make the order of your inner world a daily priority this week, and I've tried to make that easy for you. Third, start it today, whatever it is. I'm going to pause here for dramatic effect. Procrastination is one of the primary enemies of using our time well. The other might be overscheduling. Maybe you have some other enemies, but for all of us, some of you are pros at this, but for all of us, procrastination is an issue. We all do this. So whatever it is, start it today. Just start it. That's the hardest part. Again, pause for dramatic effect while you're thinking about that thing or those nine things that you're procrastinating. I'm not kidding. The conversation that you've been needing to have, the project that you've been needing to start, start it. Just start it. If it's home improvement, just collect the tools and put them in the right place. Start it. Today. Fourth. Find a good mentor. I want to recommend a couple. Well-oiled, tried and true, worth a read or a reread, please. Classics. Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. I'm going to put these books outside on Terry's table. If you want to borrow these, do it. I've only got one copy of these, but do it. Take one. Let her know your name. Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. It's awesome, it's inspiring, and it's easy to read. Make you feel a little guilty, but it'll motivate you. Many of you have read it. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you haven't read it, what's wrong with you? Read it. You can borrow this copy today. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen Covey. Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. He basically just goes through, how do you pray? Practically, I mean, he gets real practical. How do you practice silence? How do you fast? How do you study the Bible? How do you meditate? He goes through the practices that Jesus used. We Look, we can become like Jesus by doing one thing, doing the things he did. I want to be like Jesus. Spirit of the Disciplines. This is a much harder read. This is the one by Dallas Willard. He was a philosophy professor. At the University of Southern California. This is kind of thick. But for somebody who's inspired and wants to tackle it, go for it. Find a mentor. And if you can't find a mentor, find a mentor. Get a good book. I've got some other things, uh, books that I'll be adding over the week, including several devotionals. And look, there are a thousand devotionals online, but if you don't have the energy or time to find one, just go come grab one of these. There's even one here for married couples if you want to try to do something together. And it takes 15 minutes. In the morning, do it after the 10 minutes that you do the time management blog on Gateway's website. Finally, experiment with a new spiritual habit this winter. Decide today what it will be. Experiment with a new spiritual habit this winter. Try, for those of you who've never tried, try fasting. So go without eating for a day. And just every time, instead of eating lunch, pray. And this is just a conversation with God. For most of us it's going to begin like I'm not eating and I'm really hungry and I don't really know what my time is supposed to be about but I'm trying to connect with you. Right? And then you just dive in deeper. You drill deeper. What am I supposed to be praying about because right now all I can think about is starving. Just keep squirreling in and he will bless you. Or try silence. Put your phone away. Well, in fact, Some of you need to practice once a month, one day a month, one day a week. Go without all electronics for a day. (gasps) No phone, no computer, no screens for a whole day. I mean, many of you are going to have to warn people. Facebook will blow up if they don't see your posts for a whole day. So fast from electronics for a day. Or again, silence. Take a day. And just, this is tough for those of you who have little kids. (laughs) You need your spouse's or someone's cooperation. Try practicing silence for a day. You're not going to talk for a day, whole day. Even those of you who are introverted, at the end of, well, not for those of you who are introverted, it'd probably take three days for you, but you know, you'll be ready to talk anyway after a day of silence. For those of you extroverted, for Jordan and I, after an hour and a half, we're like, somebody talk to me. Keep silent for a day. Find a new spiritual practice and push in. Get out there on the infield and say, hit me some ground balls. Practice. Experiment with a new spiritual habit this winter. We're going to do it this year, Gateway. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to do it all year long. Next week, we're going to do the same thing on finances. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about our bodies. Diane said to me this week, you know, you, you probably should have started this series with bodies because everybody's dieting or exercising. And then she thought for about 30 seconds and she said, so, no, that's perfect. Because by the time you get to your third series, they've already given up their goals. So this will be awesome. So yeah, week three, we're going to be talking about our bodies. Let's do it. And all God's people said? Amen. Yeah. And when they said it, they meant it, because the word amen means I agree. Okay, let's stand and pray. So Father, I pray that you would fill us, anoint us, and prepare us to be different, to do it differently this year, not radically. Lord, we know, we know already, we can't go from a three to a ten. But we pray this morning, Lord, that you'll take us from a three to a four. And for some of us, Lord, from a six to a 6.9, maybe even a 7.3, we're going to be more like Jesus. We're going to be more alive. We're going to be more electric with your movement at the end of this year, Lord, than we are now.